The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. It's Ronald Acuna's world, and we're just living in it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, September 28th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. No Chris Walsh today, but he will be on tomorrow, our final in-season podcast of the year. Today on the show, Emmett Sheehan was awesome in Coors Field. Grayson Rodriguez continues to impress more young hitters doing some fun things and much more. With that, let's jump in. Get up! Get All right, Scott. Before we even get into like our players of the night, can we just acknowledge that it has been done? History has been made. The 4070 Club is a real thing. There you go. Ronald Acuna. Membership of one. The first player ever. And it was an awesome scene, too. He pulls the base out of the ground. He's like waving it above his head and stuff. Rightfully so, man. Do whatever you want with that base because, man, just a truly historic season here. And mm. You know, some people said he should be the first pick in drafts this year. I was not one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think originally it was like Chris was on an island and then he kind of talked me into it and I, I joined him. And I didn't, like, I was, I was thinking back to that. Like, wasn't the argument basically, well, imagine if everything goes right which I just did not find a particularly compelling or convincing argument. Okay, well, imagine if everything goes right with Judge. He hits 75 home runs. Like, you know, oh, well, everything did go right for Acuna, so. Yeah, I, I yeah. think the one year further removed from the ACL and, you know, seeing his upside in the past, not to say that Judge doesn't also have amazing upside. We just saw it last year, but I just think from a power speed perspective, like the guy was unparalleled coming into the year and, he showed us exactly that. 40 home runs, 70 steals. Shout out to him. Scott, you get the uh, first dibs here on the breadstick, the player of the night. Yeah. So I'm going Emmett Sheehan, who is the breadstick. And um, this was the best version of Emmett Sheehan we've seen so far. Here, 
against the Rockies in Coors Field. Emmett Sheehan. Uh, sorry, I've got I'm in the wrong place in my notes here. Okay, Emmett Sheehan, six innings, two earned runs, 10 strikeouts to zero walks. 20 swinging strikes on 84 pitches, including five on his fastball, eight on his slider, seven on his changeup. So yes, this is the best we've seen of Emmett Sheehan, but it's, it's, it's continued a trend for him. It's the best we've seen from him, mostly because he made it a full six innings this time. But now in his last three outings, Emmett Sheehan, a 198 ERA, a .73 whip, and 15.8 strikeouts per nine innings. And, and what those three outings also have in common is that distribution of whiffs between the fastball and the slider and the changeup. All of them doing their part to rack up swings and misses for this guy who had ridiculous numbers in the minors this year. And I don't know, remember when he first got called up, he, he wasn't getting many whiffs at all. And it was like, okay, is, was this just a total fake out? What's going on? But he's he's come around here at the end of the year, has Emmett Sheehan. And now this is three pitchers for the Dodgers in the span of two days, because remember they had a doubleheader Tuesday. Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, and now Emmett Sheehan delivering masterful outings at Coors Field, no less. And I think, I think I'm going to call them the glob stoppers. I think <laughs> they're the, they're the, hopefully the everlasting glob stoppers. I don't know. At least right now they're, they're, the, they're at least at present, the glob stoppers, because that trio again, Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio and uh, Emmett Sheehan are showing considerable upside here at the end of the season. Upside that we saw in the minors. Actually, we saw the, you know, Bobby Miller's performance in the minors was hit or miss, but he he was the most hyped prospect of the three. So uh it's not like it came out of left field for these guys. We knew they had upside, but they're they're showing such an extreme upside here at the end of the season for a team that has major pitching concerns moving forward. Cause who knows what happens to Clayton Kershaw after this year? You know, Julio Arias has his issues, and you know, there's there's not a lot of certainties in the Dodgers rotation uh, for 2024. But these three guys have looked like they've, they've, uh, they've made their case and they've made it very loudly. And much like I said about Ryan Pepio and Bobby Miller yesterday, I think the only place they can go in the postseason is up because if they struggle in the playoffs, you could say, all right, well, they're rookies. It's their first time out there. I don't think that's going to affect their draft stock whatsoever. But if they go out and they perform really well with all the eyes on them, then I think that actually could. And that'll be a lasting memory and, and people will have that to hold on to going into next year. So not that I'm rooting against the Dodgers. It's nothing against them. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a chance that if these guys pitch well in the playoffs, we could see even more helium heading into next year. One name we haven't mentioned in a while, but uh, obviously he should be back in the mix. They'll have Walker Bueller back uh, next year coming off Tommy John surgery. Kershaw, we know he's kind of going year to year with his um, you know, deciding if he's going to pitch again or or retire, whatever it might be. But man, between Bueller and these three guys, they look like they might be set up for, for quite some time here. A few other notes on Emmett Sheehan. You mentioned the swinging strike rate as of late and uh, just wanted to point out what he's done exactly. 15 plus swinging strikes in four of five outings since returning. I mean, that is elite level stuff and 
He has two secondary pitches with a whiff rate over 40% in that slider and the changeup. And he gets whiffs on his fastball too. 20% whiff rate on a four-seam fastball. That's that's really good. So I think Sheehan has you know all the makings here. Coming into the season, Scott, I think most people probably would have said Gavin Stone was the pitcher that they ex- uh, expected to kind of make this big jump for the Dodgers. And oddly enough, he's looked the worst of uh, of their pitching prospects. But, I mean, but but that how how much credit is that to the Dodgers uh, farm system, their player development program, which of course we've known all along. They 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 have all the resources to put into their major league club, and then on top of it, they have this this player development factory where they they just never seem to lose ground in farm system rankings because uh, they're so good at finding these players and developing them, and you know the. I know he was my favorite prospect in the Dodgers system, Gavin Stone, coming into the year, and yet they came up with these three others. To be fair, Bobby Miller and, yeah. and Ryan Pepio were both in my top 100 prospects still, but Pepio was very low in the top 100, and Emmett Sheehan was just kind of a name I knew, but not somebody I uh, I had particularly high hopes for. And there's more to come. I mean, <laughs> it never stops with the Dodgers. No, no, it does not, so... Shout out to Emmett Sheehan. He's been awesome recently. Player of the night for me. Not much actionable here. We spoke about him the other day as being inside the top two rounds for next season. That is Francisco Lindor, who had a huge day in their doubleheader against the Marlins. He went four for seven across both games, three homers, six RBI, and he joined the 30-30 club. You know, hard to talk about it as if it's impressive 30, 30. When, when when we're talking about Ronald Acuna going 40-70, but it really is impressive. It's just the fourth player in Mets franchise history to reach that goal, and we know the batting average isn't going to be great for Francisco Lindor. He's going to hit anywhere from, you know, probably 240 to 260. I think that's a reasonable range for him, but 30 homers, 104 runs, 96 RBI, 30 steals, so a legit four-category contributor outside of that batting average. And, you know, even from a points league perspective, he makes a good amount of contact. He doesn't walk all that much, but the dude is rock solid and and deserves to be drafted as a second round pick again next year. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And um, I would say so. Good analysis. <laughs> yeah, there's not much else to say. You know, Scott and I are talking beforehand and just a little back and forth. What are we going to talk about today, right? It's, there's... <laughs> what, four days left in the season? We have two podcasts left, so... Well, I mean, part of my process in putting, you know, of course, you put down a whole rundown with very thorough notes, but I have kind of my shorthand notes that I'm always referring to, just, you know, things... I I never know what's going to come up, you know? There's not, like... There's not really, like, a chance for me to review the rundown before (laughs) the show starts because you're putting it together right up to the very last minute. So I have to... Prepare in such a way that I'm prepared to talk about anything you throw at me. And so, um, you know, I try to come up with interesting talking points for things I think you're going to ask me. And it's just like, what is there interesting to say about any player? It's it's <laughs> right. basically just all looking for the most interesting thing you can do right now is look forward to next year, which is, is probably fine. I mean, that's probably the right thing to do, but it feels like uh, <laughs> it, it, it feels like there should be something more. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with Lindor, I was reluctant. You know, we talked 
the other day, I had my top two rounds for next year, and I was reluctant to put him in round two initially because I just, you know, I didn't really want to bump Vladimir Guerrero from round two. It was just there were too many second round caliber bats to put in round two, and I didn't really want Lindor in it because I know the the upside with the batting average is limited, and I don't know. I just felt like they were higher ceiling players overall that you can put there. But what finally talked me into it was just okay. So he's had. Uh, this this 30-30 season now. <laughs> and there are only so many players that can can deliver that much power and that much speed. There's a lot more speed out there than there used to be. But to get them both in one pick, it, it, I, I think I think is still worthwhile. Um, you know, particularly when you're talking about round two. We're not even you're, you're not you don't even have to invest your round one pick in this guy. And uh, so I think that's why it's worth doing. Yeah, imagine starting a draft next year, you get Julio Rodriguez as a top three pick, and then in the second round, you get Francisco Lindor. I mean, you're essentially locking up 60 home runs and maybe 70 stolen bases between those two guys, and counting stats should be really good for those two as well. So shout out to Lindor. He's had a great season. I guess we could stick with the New York theme here, Scott, and just quickly shine a spotlight once again on Garrett Cole, who put an exclamation mark on his American League Cy Young likely to win it. Uh, his second shutout of the season, fifth of his career. He only allowed two hits in this one, zero walks, five strikeouts, only nine swinging strikes on 105 pitches. And uh, two starts in a row now where the velocity has been down, but frankly, it hasn't mattered. He's been amazing in both of those starts. Now down to a 263 ERA on the year, a .98 whip. We've said it all season. Garrett Cole's doing it differently this year. He's not getting as many whiffs as he has before, uh, but... It really hasn't mattered. I mean, obviously, we would love those gaudy strikeout numbers, but he's still giving you over mm-hmm. a strikeout per inning, amazing ratios. And if this is the new version of Garrett Cole where he kind of trades off maybe overthrowing a little bit and trying to rack up these strikeouts while limiting home runs, I think everyone is perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I think so as well. And uh, I'm trying to do it because it certainly feels like you know part of what's made pitching starting pitching so frustrating this year is you know even independently from the glob even of the even the pitchers who we think of as being above the glob they're just not as reliable for strikeouts anymore you know there are a lot more okay so Garrett Cole's only a less less than 10k per nine when we're used to seeing him more like 11k per nine you know mm-hmm. So I'm looking it up now. Among qualifiers, there's just as many pitchers this year who were 10K per nine or better than his last year. So maybe it's not as different as it feels. I don't know. I'll have to dig into that more in the offseason. Because, uh, yeah, and there's way more. There's way more qualifiers that are more than a strikeout per inning this year. 22. Last year, it was only 14. So... I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree with that one. I'll have to look into it more. And but it's the, uh, but the bottom line is, I mean, yeah, even only nine point eight K per nine, Garrett Cole's been awesome. Yeah, he's now up to two hundred nine innings on the season, two hundred twenty two strikeouts. So I would say at this point, the most reliable, true workhorse ace in the game. Obviously, Spencer Strider, I think, is kind of in his own category of stud starting pitcher. But yeah, uh, fantastic season here for. Garrett Cole, um, last, I guess, big name here to highlight up top. I am going to have nightmares, Scott, about benching Ellie De La Cruz this week. 
<laughs> Another big game on, on Wednesday. One for three with a walk and two steals. He had two homers yesterday, two stolen bases today. He's up to 13 homers, 35 steals. Yes, the batting average is down. He's you know only got a 709 OPS, but at this point in the year, we need all the help we can get. So uh, I hope no one else benched Ellie De La Cruz like I did because obviously I am regretting it massively right now. We all have regrets. Oh, we sure do. That's... Have, you heard, have, have you heard the one about Reese Olsen, Frank? Uh, no, why don't you remind us? No, I'm <laughs> um, before we move on, just a reminder what our schedule is going to be starting next week. Obviously, the season is wrapping up over this weekend. We're not going to have a normal weekend recap on Sunday. What we're normally going to do is, in the offseason, two podcasts per week from basically October through December, and then we'll start to ramp up a little bit more after that. But you can expect us here. We're still still going to do live streams Monday and Wednesday evenings. You'll have a podcast in your feed Tuesday and Thursday morning. So be on the lookout for that and continue to stick with us. You know, if you want to, if you want baseball content, still we'll be talking about early rankings and the Arizona Fall League with the Welsh. He texted me today. He's going to every single game next week of the Arizona Fall League. So he's going to have some eyes out there live on the prize watching some prospects, and we'll get some breakdowns from him as well. Let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez, Scott, who we've talked about a lot in the second half, and rightfully so. Another solid start. Uh, I, every time he has a start like this, Scott, I, I, I just hear you in the back of my mind saying, but he hasn't had that massive breakout start yet. Mm-hmm. But he's still been really good. Five and two-thirds mm-hmm. innings, one run allowed, five strikeouts to zero walks, uh, updated numbers in 13 starts since returning to the Orioles, a 258 ERA, a 110 whip, and right around a strikeout per inning. Some people were asking me on Twitter, has Grayson Rodriguez transcended the glob? I think the answer to that is yes. Now I'm starting to think just how high can he get in pitcher rankings for next year? Yeah. Uh, I know there's a lot to sort through, but mm-hmm. my my initial reaction is he's inside the top 30, right? Like he's top 25? Probably, but is yeah. does that... That still would have him in the glob, I would think. Um, I think he's ahead of the glob. I think he's earned that. I want to say he has. I mean, 258 ERA, 110 whip, 8.6 K per nine, as you said, in 13 starts since returning. And I don't have his updated FIP during that stretch, but it it looks like it's below three as well. So that's encouraging for for having, you know, kind of a so-so strikeout rate. The, the fact that the FIP during that stretch is also below three. Uh, is a good sign. I, I've I've referenced this before, but I, I really want to try to get back to the basics when I'm ranking and evaluating pitchers for next season. And the the most f- basic data point is the strikeout rate. And I, I think I think it's always been the most important thing for a pitcher. But I think even more so in this environment where Babbitts are back up, you know, the fewer balls you allow in play, the better off. It's, But beyond that, it's the most predictable stat. It's in a categories league. It's it's a stat you're not going to like lose ground in the way ERA, the way, you know, a pitcher's ERA was for, for so many good pitchers. They were fluctuating wildly up and down from one start to the next. The strikeouts are just going to continue to accumulate. So it's, it's a good stat for both projecting how good a pitcher will be going forward. Like it, it, it will influence his ERA in an indirect way, but then it also is 
the most appealing stat from a direct standpoint because of the way it accumulates. So the fact that that's how Grayson Rodriguez has fallen short since returning, less than a strikeout per inning, gives me some small hesitation because if it continues into next year, if he remains 8.6 strikeouts per nine innings next year, I think he's going to be just as susceptible as anyone, as, as the rest, just as susceptible to anyone in the glob to those wildly fluctuating starts that are so frustrating. And that's what I'm trying to avoid more than anything. And Because if you do fall into that pattern of, okay, two earned runs here, zero earned runs here, one earned run here, eight earned runs, you know, like, and you're not getting uh, like a great strikeout total with it, then you feel very globby. You seem very globby. And and that's, that's basically the definition of a globby pitcher. So could he get better with strikeouts? Yes, I think he could. Obviously, great strikeout guy in the minors. He has a nice full arsenal. Does Grayson Rodriguez. Even during this 13-star stretch as he's returned, his swinging strike rate is about 13% which suggests, okay, if you're you're getting that many swings and misses, you probably should have more than 8.6K per nine. But the bottom line is he doesn't. And it's been a long enough stretch. You know, there's not even like a random 11 strikeout effort in there to give us hope. It's been a lot of like six, seven strikeout performances. Uh, So it's, I think it's been more like five and six strikeout performances, actually. I don't know. It's going to be a tough one, Grayson Rodriguez, because... My heart wants to say, yes, he's he's transcended the glob. The upside is so high, and he's been reliable enough down the stretch that we should think of him as a true standout, top-of-the-rotation kind of guy in fantasy next year. But my process, if I'm going to be disciplined with it, which I'm trying to be, says, no, don't do that because the strikeouts haven't been there. One point you made there that I was going to say as well to push back is the swinging strike rate. Uh, it, yeah. It's thirteen point two percent. If he qualified, that number would be would rank would be tied for eighth among starting pitchers with Zach Wheeler, who we look at as you know one of the aces in baseball as well. And I think something else that helps Grayson Rodriguez a few things is that when he's not getting whiffs, he gets a lot of ground balls during this stretch. It's like a fifty-two percent ground ball rate. So that's been awesome, and the fact that. He pitches in a great home ballpark now, right? In Camden, yeah. too. So I yeah. think all those factors, and I, I kind of trust Baltimore now. Like, the way that they've developed some of these pitchers, Kyle Bradish coming out and having an amazing season as well. We've seen really great years all around from their starting pitchers. I trust them, man. And I don't want him as my SP1 next year, but if I can get him as no. my SP2 and I don't know, what is it, like round six through eight, I think maybe something like that as a top 25 mm-hmm. starting pitcher, I'm in. I mean, I, I mean, in a, I, in a way, it's splitting hairs because, like, he's either going to be one of the lowest rank non-glob pitchers. We need a, we need a shorter version for that. I don't know exactly what to call them, but the pitchers <laughs> who transcend the glob, he's going to be one of the either one of the lowest ranked of them for me next year, or one of the highest ranked within the glob. So it's just like if I'm going to treat the glob the way I say I'm going to treat the glob, where I'm not going to. I'm not going to be very particular about who I target from that group. You know, there will there will be appropriate times in the draft where it's like there's nobody worth drafting here hitter wise, so I guess I'll take a pitcher who's the most attractive pitcher within the glob right now. Okay, it's whoever it is. And I've said I'm going to target guys who I think have the most upside, who I think have the most strikeout potential. 
if 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 I'm going to approach that large lump of pitchers that way, then I that's why I think it's important to distinguish, okay, Grayson Rodriguez, is he part of that large lump or is he better than that? Because if I'm saying he's a part of the lump, a part of the glob, I'm just trying to avoid saying glob over and over again. If I'm saying he's a part of the glob, then I'm probably not going to draft him much because he's going to go earlier than I can justify taking anyone in the glob, if that makes sense. All right. Fair enough. I don't know. I think we're going to have some fun I, conversations about Chris Rodriguez. Um, it's, it's, he's, a really, he's a really difficult case. Yeah. But my heart wants to ignore, to ignore it and just say he's good. But I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's, it's definitely something I'm going to have to dig into more in the offseason. Yeah, don't listen to your heart, Scott. He's Grayson Rodriguez. Oh. He's awesome. <laughs> Let's take our... Oh, that's what my heart is saying. Yeah, that... So you do want me to listen to my heart? No, no, no. Don't listen to your heart. So that you can draft them? Maybe. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Let's take our first break. When we return, what about Shane Bieber? What do we do with that guy next year? I, I have no idea. We'll discuss right after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Let's talk about Shane Bieber, who turned in a great start, his second outing back from the IL. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts to zero walks. He had 10 swinging strikes on 82 pitches, and then you dig a little bit deeper, and what do you find? 11 hard hits in this game, a 95.6 average exit velocity against, which is a lot of what we've seen from Shane Bieber this season. He's got a 380 ERA. He's got a 123 whip. The K-minus walk rate is among the worst of his career, uh, giving up lots of hard contact. His ex-ERA entering Wednesday was 4.91. That is very bad. Um, his mm-hmm. swinging strike rate is also a career low at 10.4%. My initial read, Scott, is I want nothing to do with Shane Bieber next year. But if everybody feels that way, then you might be able to get him at a severe discount. I just have no idea. Mm, you know, that was kind of my case for Jack Flaherty this year. And <laughs> I, I mean, obviously things haven't gone as bad for Bieber this year. He's still managed to have a respectable enough ERA, respectable enough numbers across the board, uh, unlike, uh, unlike maybe what Flaherty had been prior to this year. But... Yeah, I mean, he feels like the epitome of a glob pitcher right now. And so I'm not saying there isn't a scenario where I draft him next year, but it's it's not going to be I'm not going to invest a lot of draft capital in him, that's for sure. Uh he's clearly going to rank behind Grayson Rodriguez. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my thinking is, Scott, what if he's drafted as, I don't know, the 45th starting pitcher off the board at pick 175? Hmm. Is that enough of a discount? I don't know. I don't think so for me. Okay. I, I, I think I, he, does, he does not strike me as an upsidey pitcher anymore. So if, 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 that, if it is, if pick 175 is an appropriate point in that particular draft where it's like, there's no hitters I want here. I'll, I'll just take my favorite starting pitcher from the glob. I think at that point in the draft, I'll, I'll find someone who's upside I like more than Bieber's, frankly. I, I think he's just a boring innings eater at this stage of his career. Now, could he bounce back? It's, it's possible, but uh, you know he managed to thrive with reduced velocities, and it's not like he lost any velocity from last year. He thrived with reduced velocities last year, but... That's because his slider and curveball were so good at getting whiffs, both over 40% rate. But he mixed in, he, he started emphasizing a cutter over them this year that seemed like it was oriented more for contact. And so I think that needs to change. I think his pitch mix would need to change. But also the slider and the curveball weren't as effective at getting whiffs anymore. So I don't know what it's going to take to reverse that. It's it's not something I can confidently predict for Beaver. It's within the realm of possibility. He's, you know, how old is he? 28. <laughs> He's not an old guy. It just feels yeah. like he is. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's not somebody, not somebody I'll probably have much of next year. And we also have this lingering arm injury in the back of our minds, too. I'm just trying to connect the dots now on the fly, and I'm thinking maybe he reduced his usage of the curveball and the slider this season because he knows that it affects his arm, right? I, I I feel like that's a pretty reasonable explanation. And as a result, those whiffs are way down. So, right. so let's let's really put this to the test. Let's see the rubber when the rubber meets the road here. Okay, we know we know he's behind Grayson Rodriguez. But we've talked about that trio of Dodgers. I already knew you were going there. I Ryan already knew. Ryan Pepio, it. <laughs> Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan, and well, let's let's throw Reese Olsen in there as well because we talked about who who else did we talk about as an upside pitcher yesterday? Michael King. Michael King, sure. Um, yeah, and Pepio. Are, are, are you are you drafting those guys? All five of them before Shane Bieber? Are there any you draft after Bieber? Mm. Do you draft all of them after Bieber? Oof, that's a great question. And just to be perfectly. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just to be perfectly clear, I, I was just kind of playing devil's advocate. I, I don't think I want anything to do with Shane Bieber next year. Um, uh-huh. My initial read is, I think I would want all those pitchers ahead of Shane Bieber. Even even uh, Reese Olsen. I feel like he's my least favorite. Er, I don't know. Reese Olsen, Emmett Sheehan. Yeah, I think I like Reese Olsen the least of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we're ranking him behind all five of those guys, he's probably not even in the top 60 50 mm. yeah no it's it's a good question it's a good talking point right now i just wonder again like i have no idea where those pitchers are going to rank but i know i i feel so lost at start <laughs> at when it comes to ranking starting it's it's always a difficult position to rank just because there are so many you know you go so deep at the position that it's not just 15 to 20 names that are important. It's like 80 names that are important. So you really have to, what's the word? I, I don't know. S- split hairs isn't the word I was looking for, but you really have to split hairs to 
you know, sort out number 35 from number 38 from number 48. But I feel like it's worse than ever this year because of that glob that's really like 60 players deep. And I just don't care that much about the order, but I have to care because I have to maintain rankings. So like mm-hmm. I have to, you know, have drafts. I I don't... I can confidently say Shane Bieber will be hit behind Bobby Miller and Michael King as long as the Yankees' plan for Michael King entering next year seems to be, okay, 100% starting pitcher. Uh, Pepio is probably my third favorite of that group. Right now I'm leaning Pepio over Bieber. And so I think the most questionable are Sheehan and Olsen for me. And we'll see. We'll see if I can justify Bieber ahead of them or not. And maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment right now because those guys are young and they're flashing this upside and they're getting all these swinging strikes. So uh-huh. it's easy to kind of talk yourself into it and yeah, let's be excited about the the next big thing and you know everyone's next sleeper or breakout pick, right? But you know, yeah. the, the industry is really smart right now and and everyone everyone knows the same things, right? Like we all see these young pitchers that are kind of flashing this upside towards the end of the year. People aren't going to forget that. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty no, I mean, sure these all of these names we're talking about are are going to be drafted adequately. They're not going to fall through the cracks, right? So, well, you know, one of the arguments I've been making over, over the past few weeks here is that I feel like uh, I feel like I've underperformed my own expectations, my history uh, in, in roto leagues, really beginning in 2021. So the three seasons now of underperforming in roto leagues. Specifically, head-to-head leagues, I've done fine. And one reason I think that's been the case is because I've been trying to outsmart the industry on those upside pitchers. Okay, well, you think this big, exciting bat misser is so great, but what if he gets shut down after 120 innings? Then you'll be really screwed. And so, you know, just kind of trying to trying to figure out what inefficiencies lie within the consensus reasoning so that I can buy more time for myself to, you know, to draft hitters instead and, and kind of fill in the gaps with the pitchers who I think everybody else is, is overlooking. But I think I've only outsmarted myself by doing that. And so in the past few years, I think elevating Bieber over those younger guys would have been something I did because, okay, we don't know what role the Dodgers are going to use Pepio in next year. And yeah, could workload be an issue maybe. And, you know, Bieber, he was still pretty good. And there's a chance he could bounce back. I'm making myself sound like an idiot, but that's, I kind of have to tell myself, Scott, you're an idiot because look at the results. You got to do something different. And that's that, I think that's been my biggest shortcoming. So I'm trying to correct that. All right. Well, let's talk about some hitters because I feel like all we've talked about is pitching so far. Yesterday, we spoke about some rookie hitters, some young hitters that are emerging and, and finishing out the season strong. And uh, I've got some more of those players here to talk about from Wednesday. Edward Julian, two for four with his 15th home run. And he's been, he's had a very solid rookie season, batting 262, a 380 on base percentage, 15 home runs, 58 runs scored, an 832 OPS. 
an interesting player in that he walks so much. He also strikes out a lot, a 32% strikeout rate. He's also been horrendous against left-handed pitching. Maybe that's something he can approve upon uh, over the next couple of years. Who knows? Uh, maybe he just turns into a strict platoon player for the entirety of his career. I don't, I think it's probably too early to say something like that, but he's an interesting player, Scott. It's like he doesn't really excel in like a roto categories league, but maybe the strikeouts kind of limit him in a points league too. So I, I just don't know where Edouard Julian fits. Like maybe he's just a better real life player than he is for fantasy. I don't know. Well, I think it's too early to say. I mean, for it being his rookie season, he's had a very good rookie season. Sure. And so I don't want to uh, put a limit on what Edward Julian could be because there's a chance he could improve his shortcomings. Uh, a lot of it depends on what the Twins are willing to try, like how much are they willing to try him against lefties next year. He's never going to get better against them if he doesn't get to play against them. And it's normal for left-handed batters to struggle against left-handed pitchers really throughout their career, but especially early in their career. Uh, second base is deep enough and has enough high upside choices that I don't think, I don't think Edward Julian's going to be more than a late rounder next year, even in leagues that have that third middle infield spot to fill. But I do think, I do think um, the upside is enough that, you know, he's worth targeting in that range. He's worth, you know, a, a, a late, a, a deep middle infield option that I liked la, uh, heading into this year was what, Michael Massey? Well, Edward, Edward Julian seems like he's proven himself way more than Michael Massey had going into last, uh, going into this season. So I, I think, I think he belongs in the conversation as, as an upside second baseman, but, uh, but there are enough that you don't have to invest heavily in them. All right, two young outfielders finishing strong here, and I kind of want to take some of the blame, Scott, for convincing you to move Evan Carter ahead of James Outman uh, for your sleeper hitters this week. But hey, they both had good games here on Wednesday. Evan Carter, one for three with a walk and his fifth home run. He has played 19 games with the Rangers. He is batting 320 with those five home runs, three steals, and 1146 OPS. He's been... Amazing so far. James Outman, he's enjoying himself some Coors Field. He went three for four with his 23rd home run. And, you know, he had that amazing April, really bad May and June. But Outman has bounced back big time in the second half. 272 batting average, 12 homers, six steals, and 878 OPS. Tons of walks, a 16% walk rate. 29% strikeouts. That's high. But I think when you walk as much as he does, like... 29% is probably okay, but he's had a really big second half here, Scott. Um, any thoughts? I guess lasting thoughts for next season, James Outman and Evan Carter. Well, I like Carter more. Uh, I think there's a lot more upside there, and he's he's had a really strong showing as a rookie down the stretch this year. He'll, he'll be a rookie of the year favorite. I'm not saying the rookie of the year favorite, but he'll be a rookie of the year favorite entering next year. And James Altman, I mean, he's on the verge of a 25 homer, 15 steal season. That certainly has value. He, he's played a lot more against left-handers than I thought he would. The strikeout rate is so bad that I don't see a lot of room for improvement from Altman. He's already 26 too, so he's not uh, for being a rookie. He's not especially young. But the Dodgers seem to value him enough to play him every day, and 
he's productive enough that as like a fourth outfielder type, I think he's, I think he can, uh, I think he can live up to that at least. Yeah, that's it. Altman, by the way, uh, you don't deserve blame for me moving Evan Carter ahead of Altman. That was, that's what my gut was feeling as well. And I kept Altman in there. It's not like he wasn't one of my sleeper hitters anymore. So I, mm-hmm. I think I still get credit. Yeah. And we still got a ton of baseball left. Scott, four days, maybe Evan Carter yeah. homers each game, uh, each team game from, uh, from here on out and makes us eat our words, but he's been awesome. Uh, last name here, a player we have not talked about and does not come with big prospect pedigree, but he's having a huge September. And I feel like we haven't talked about him at all. Jared Triolo. He plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He went two for three with two walks and his sixth stolen base. And in September, he is batting 372 with three homers, three steals, and 1105 OPS. And you look at his career in the minors, good batting average, 284. OPS is okay, 809 OPS. Uh, two seasons with 24 or more stolen bases. You know, 15 home runs was his career high any season in the minors. He's 25 years old, so... I don't know if there's anything here. Like this might just be an NL only play for next year. I don't even know if he's going to have a job with the pirates, but <laughs> he's having a really big September and he's a name we haven't yeah. talked about. Yeah. He seems like a guy who's destined to be a utility infielder. And, um, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to translate to much in terms of fantasy value. I don't know. Just looking at the minor league numbers and looking, you know, he's 25. It, it, it Jared Triolo kind of at first glance reminds me of Tommy LaStella, who did randomly have a good power year and that made him a must-start fantasy player, but uh, it was an aberration. And uh, I wouldn't bet on Triolo, Triolo doing that same thing. All right, let's hit some news and notes before we get to our final break. Corey Seager was back in the Rangers lineup after being hit by a pitch on his forearm Tuesday. Good news there. Aaron Nola will not pitch again during the regular season and is expected to start game two of the NL wildcard round next Wednesday. Max Scherzer threw a light bullpen session on Wednesday, and it seems aggressive following that strained muscle in his shoulder, but he seems determined to return at some point in the postseason. Uh, We shall see, assuming that the Rangers make it. They Look pretty good right now. They're kind of in control of their own destiny. Randy Rosarena was back in the Rays lineup Wednesday after missing a few games with right quad tightness. Royce Lewis played in a simulated game Wednesday. He was placed on the IL last week with a mild left hamstring strain. And of course, the Twins are hoping to get Royce Lewis back for their postseason run. Yandy Diaz has missed two straight with right hamstring tightness. Luis Arise. Missed both games of the doubleheader Wednesday with a left ankle sprain. Jamer Candelario was reinstated in the Cubs lineup, and he was batting seventh against the Braves. Rough couple days here for the Cubs, too, by the way. My gosh. I mean, Seiya Suzuki missing the fly ball on Tuesday night. Then uh, two different comebacks here from the Braves on on Wednesday night. They're relentless. And, uh, man, no love lost for those Chicago Cubs. Huh, Scotty? Uh, nope. Yeah. Nope. Hey, nope. You play to win the Dan's game. B. Swanson has felt the uh, last two days. I saw, I saw Ronald Acuna. There was a photo of him picking up the, the base and holding it over his head. And in the background, there's just Dansby Swanson. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, it's, yeah. it must be kind of rough to be part of that scene. He's I a guess. bro. It'll be fine. Yeah. I, I don't. He's making millions of dollars. I think he's I have no totally hard fine. feelings 
toward Dansby Swanson whatsoever. And you shouldn't. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle was activated from the IL, but was not in the Orioles lineup against the Nationals. Aaron Savali is, is, is scheduled to start Friday against the Blue Jays. He needed a couple extra days of rest after dealing with an illness. Stalling Marte has been shut down for the remainder of the season with that groin injury. He, the soon-to-be 35-year-old hit just 248 with five homers and 24 steals this season following dual groin surgery last offseason. And I don't know how much Starling Marte has left in the tank. So I'm not, I'm thinking not much. Yeah. No, it's not. That's uh, maybe I'll draft him in an NL only league next year. If I need some cheap steals, but beyond that, I want no part of him. Chaz McCormick was out of the lineup due to a sore back. Michael Brantley was back in the Astros lineup. Lord S. Guriel was scratched with tightness in his left shoulder, but could return as early as Thursday. Kyle Harrison, who was scratched from Tuesday's start with an illness, will start one of the Giants games this weekend against the Dodgers. Zach Davies was designated for assignment by the D-backs. Gabriel Arias was placed in the I.L. with a fractured right wrist. Brian Rocchio was recalled by the Guardians. Here's a name you haven't heard in a while. Reese Hoskins took batting practice and ran the bases on Tuesday. The team has not ruled out Hoskins from returning for the World Series, if they make it that far. Uh, who knows? But Reese Hoskins tore his ACL back in spring training. So That is dreaming big. Sure is. And in case you're wondering what happened to uh, Tarek Skubal, why his start was so shortened here on Wednesday, the Royals and Tigers game was suspended due to rain, which is unfortunate because Tarek Skubal was pitching another yeah. gem, four shutout yeah. innings, eight strikeouts, he had 14 swinging strikes on 52 pitches. That is a 27% swinging strike rate. He has definitely transcended the glob and will be ranked ahead of both Bieber and Grayson Rodriguez next year. Mm-hmm. Ahead of Cole Reagan, Scott? Uh, let's see how Reagan's next start goes. Mm. Interesting. Well, you know what? I had them both among my 20 bold predictions for next year. One bold prediction was that Tarek Skubal wins the AL Cy Young. Another bold prediction was that Cole, Cole Reagans leads the AL in strikeouts. So, do you prefer Spencer Strider, strikeout leader, or do you prefer... Blake Snell. I think Tarek Skubal is better than Blake <laughs> Snell, Snell, actually. So I don't, I don't know. I don't think Reagan's is as good as Strider, and I don't think uh, Snell is as good as Skubal. So that's, you know, I don't think that's the fairest analogy that I just drew up there. All right, fair enough. Let's take our final break. When we return, we will talk about the rough end to the season for Andrew Abbott, and I've got some other leftovers. We'll do that right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back in. Let's discuss Andrew Abbott. A rough end to the season for him where initially he got called up, kind of took the league by storm, looked like 
a great pickup and then really kind of faltered here down the stretch. He was at the Guardians. He went two and a third innings, gave up eight hits, three earned runs, and uh, he went six plus innings in eight of his first 10 outings. Since then, he has completing, completed six innings once in 11 tries for Andrew Abbott. The final result here, a 387 ERA and a 132 whip, which is still a successful rookie season. But over those final 11 starts, 642 ERA, a 178 whip. And it just feels like he wore down, Scott. The innings really kind of added up here at the end. 163 and a third innings for Andrew Abbott. Last year, he threw 118. So that's a pretty massive jump. Um, and I think it's a, a reasonable explanation for some of the struggles, maybe not all of them. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm I I kind of take some pride, I guess, in the fact that all of us, really, the entire podcast, we we maintained that Andrew Abbott wasn't this good, and that he would drop off eventually. And it, we kind of looked dumb there for a while, but I I I don't think we abandoned that stance. And uh, sure enough, it happened. So good for us. Having said that, I don't think the 642 ERA, the 178 whip in his last 11 starts is reflective of who Andrew Abbott is either. So, you know, maybe, maybe where his final numbers ended up, a 370. Actually, these aren't the most updated numbers. Uh, what are the most updated numbers for Andrew Abbott? Final season numbers. He has a... Uh, 387 ERA and the whip I guess would be close to 1-3. Maybe that's more reflective of who he actually is. With still a good strikeout rate. I don't know. I guess that's how, at first glance, that's how I want to value Andrew Abbott for next year. All right. Do any of these pitching performances matter from Wednesday? Brandon Fott turned in one of his better starts at the White Sox. Five and two-thirds shutout innings with eight strikeouts which tied a season high. He had 14 swinging strikes on 87 pitches. Joey Lucchese turned in a quality start and has actually been solid for the Mets. Six innings, two runs, three strikeouts, uh, 289 ERA, but a 131 whip. So, okay, seems like he's kind of overachieved there on the ERA. And Darius Vines has made two starts for the Braves. Both of them have been quality starts. Six innings, three runs, two of those earned with five strikeouts and 11 swinging strikes. We spoke about Vines when he first got called up. An interesting pitcher. He only averages 90 miles per hour on his fastball, but it seems like he legitimately has four solid pitches that he can go to um, and that he can command. And They seem like mm-hmm. pretty good pitches, too. So uh, any thoughts here, I guess, moving forward on Darius Vines, Joey Lucchese, and Brandon Fott? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Vines has particularly high upside. I think he has a lot of pitchability, maybe... Maybe he could turn into like a Taiwan Walker type for the Braves. Uh, we'll see what kind of role he has in the postseason. They're kind of limping into the playoffs pitching on the pitching side. And so Vines could have a role there, maybe race, maybe elevate his stock. Uh, as far as Brandon Fott goes, he took advantage of a good matchup. But man, I am going to struggle to even put him in the glob next year. I think he's a sub-glob pitcher. I think he's looking at the glob's backside. <laughs> I just don't... I just don't 
have a lot of enthusiasm for him based on how his rookie season went. Yeah, lots of hard contact, lots of home runs allowed for Brandon Fott. His sweeper is awesome. 171 batting average against a 34% whiff rate. It's everything else. <laughs> I think each of his other pitches has a batting average against over 300. So those pitches are getting clobbered. I, I think Brandon Fott has to get in the lab and, and figure out better, better sequencing and, and location. But at least he has that sweeper. So maybe he can kind of build off that for next year. Three other names. Do any of these performances matter? Dane Dunning has had a, a really interesting season. This was his sixth quality start of at least seven innings. He's had some truly dominant performances this year. He was at the Angels. He threw seven shutout, seven strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes in this one. Griffin Canning had a quality start against the Rangers. Six innings, two runs, five strikeouts with 15 swinging strikes. He actually gets a lot of whiffs, and it's a pretty good K-minus walk rate for Griffin Canning. He just gives up a lot of home runs. And Sean Manaya, old friend, turned in back-to-back impressive quality starts, and uh, he was up against... The Padres in a revenge game. Six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts with 19 swinging strikes. 13 of those coming on the fastball. Do any of these matter, Scott? Uh, man, I I found Dane Dunning to be so frustrating this year because it seemed like as soon as you, you started to establish some trust, he, he started to establish some trust and you're like, okay, let's put him in our lineup. He would just bottom out. And I don't think he was somebody we talked about as a start much heading into this final week. Uh, and he delivers another gem. Like, it just felt like we were always chasing the most recent outcomes with him. And, and then, you know, like Lucy with the football, having it pulled away. And, uh, you know, I look at the underlying numbers. They're pretty bad. His ERA estimators are all in the mid fours. The overall strikeout rate, 7.2K per nine. I mean, on paper, he doesn't look like anything special. It'll be hard for me to say he's in the glob going into next year, although he has performed like a globby pitcher this year. I think of these three, Griffin Canning has the most upside, but he has uh, durability issues and... He, uh, I would guess he's underperformed his expected stats pretty consistently. ERA this year is 432. Uh, yeah, his XFIP is 381. So it's not great, but it's, yeah, he's underperformed it. You know, his, his best ERA in four major league seasons is 399. So it's been a consistent issue with him, and it's, uh, not. I think not a, I wouldn't say it's a winning bet on him, you know, turning the corner at age 28 next year, even though he does have a lot of swing and miss potential. All right. The rest of the leftovers will start with uh, two starting pitchers. Tyler Glass now bounced back with a solid start at the Red Sox. Five shutout innings with nine strikeouts and 12 swinging strikes in that one. And Kodai Senga wraps up a great rookie season. Who you gonna call? Kodai Senga uh, <laughs> up against the Marlins. Five innings, two runs, eight strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 96 pitches here. His first non-quality start since August 2nd. So he's been so, so reliable. Uh, and he's, he's the rookie of the year runner. Uh, yeah, he's the rookie of the year runner up. Corbin Carroll's the winner. Kodai Senga, rookie of the year runner up. He will definitely 
transcend the glob in my rankings next year. I don't understand the Ghostbusters song for him still because, you know, okay, he has the ghost fork, yeah. but doesn't that make him the ghost? Uh, I mean, I, I ain't afraid of no ghost. Isn't that what the opposition is saying when they face Kodai Senga? Yeah. And he lights him up. And anyway, then, yeah, he's the I ghost. Don't, I don't know. He is Slimer yes. chasing Peter Venkman through the halls of that hotel and, and sliming him. All right. Well, you can make the sound drops next season, Scott. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, some hitting leftovers. Lots of names here on the list. Feel free to jump in anywhere if you want. Pete Alonso in game one of their doubleheader went four for four with his 46th home run of the season. Josh Lowe, three for three with his 20th homer. We're now up to 18 players that have gone 20-20 this season, uh, which I haven't looked it up, but I would venture to say that's more, a lot more than years past. So uh, Josh Lowe is in that group, and he's had a, a great season. Adley Rutschman, two for four with his 20th home run, and he's batting 276 with an 810 OPS on top of that. Bryce Harper, three for four with his 21st home run. A massive second half here for Harper, batting 300, 18 of those 21 home runs, six steals, a 1,008 OPS. So he looks like he's all the way back. Aaron Judge, two for three with a double dong, four RBI, both home runs over 112 miles per hour exit velocity. That is the seventh multi-home run game of the season for Aaron Judge. Max Kepler went four for four. He's also had a big second half. 304 batting average, 11 homers. 911 OPS, 93 mile per hour average exit velocity for Max Kepler here in the second half. Freddie Freeman went one for three with a sock and a shoe, his 28th home run and 23rd steal of the year. He's also two doubles away from 60, so I'd like for Freddie Freeman to get that done. Let's do it. Two more doubles. Adolis, well, I want to see him go 30 30. Let's make seven <laughs> steals happen, buddy. That would be amazing. 30 25, that would be pretty awesome, but. Ugh. That's more realistic. Two two home runs and two steals to over the next yeah. how many games do they have left? Five games? I think four, four games. I think four. Maybe yeah. if all of their remaining games were in Coors Field, he might be able to pull that off. But <laughs> he can pull it off. Yeah, it I'm sure he's hit two homers and stolen two bases in a four game span this year. Could happen. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Adolis Garcia went two for five with his 38th home run. He just missed two other home runs as well. He had five hits in the uh, five hard hits in this game. Three of those over 104 exit velocity. And Jordan Alvarez one for three with his 31st home run of the year. He is at a 1,000 OPS on the nose. What if Aaron Judge gets to 40 home runs? That means he would have done it in. Like just under 110 games, which is crazy. It's the 37 now. There was a three homer game over the weekend, right? And then this two homer game. Suddenly, he's at 37. It's 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 within shouting distance. All the all the hand wringing over Judge this year. He may still get to 40 homers. Just incredible. So frustrating to think about from a fan perspective. What could have been for the Yankees this season? If uh, the Dodgers didn't have that stupid concrete block on the bottom of their outfield wall, which basically knocked my guy Aaron Judge out for uh, a large portion of the season. Call to the bullpen. A few updates here for the D-backs. Paul Seawald struck out two for his 34th save. For the Guardians, Emmanuel Class A, 
allowed a hit, but picked up his league-leading 43rd save of the year. For the Phillies, both Craig Kimbrell and Jose Alvarado were unavailable. Gregory Soto struck out the side for his third save. For the Cubs, Mark Leiter Jr. got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up a solo homer to Marcelo Zuna. The Cubs then took the lead in the top of the 10th. And what happened? They gave up two more runs in the bottom of the 10th, and they took the loss in that game. For the Twins, Yoan Duran entered in the seventh inning with the game tied at the time. Facing the top of the A's lineup, he struck out the side. Griffin Jacks eventually got the final out for his fourth save of the year. For the Marlins, in game two of their doubleheader, Tanner Scott, we know, is on the paternity list, so it was lefty Andrew Nardi who struck out two for his third save. And for the Brewers, Devin Williams walked two but picked up his 36th save of the year. To stream or not to stream, we will start with Thursday. And it looks like we will go with Sawyer Gibson Long against the Royals. Hopefully the weather holds up there. And there's no one else that I love. Maybe David Peterson against the Marlins? Yeah, that's probably the second choice, but it's a distant second, and I'm not really feeling it. Nope, me neither. How about on Friday? We have Cal Quantrill at the Tigers, Nick Pavetta at the Orioles, John Means Business up against the Red Sox, Tyler McGill against the Phillies, Um, Uh Chase Silseth is making his return and facing the Oakland A's, Okay, and and lots of TBDs, but Hmm. you can't choose those. Not loving this group either. Uh, I mean, Chase Silseth against Chase Silseth against Oakland. It's just you know coming off that absence. What was the injury again? I believe it was either a concussion or a maybe a fracture in his skull. I, I know it was like a line drive. Yeah. No, it wasn't oh, a gosh. line drive. It was his teammate threw the ball across the diamond. Yeah, and hit him in the side of the head. Concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you love the matchup and, and, you know, we forget the kind of role Silseth was on. We were talking about him in the same breath as Cole Reagan's when at the time of that injury, but I think it's just too, un, there's, there's no telling how this is going to go first start back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's too risky. I think if you're looking for strikeouts, Nick Pavetta at Baltimore is the way to go, but you got to understand he might give up four or five earned runs. And if you're just looking for a quality start, Cal Quantrill at Detroit's probably the way to go. But I don't I don't love either of those choices. They're just the best you're gonna do as far as streamers go Friday. John Means up against the Red Sox. Come on, like Scott. That. Not really. I mean it is at home. <laughs> yeah. Is this his first time pitching at home since he's returned? I think it might be. I think it's his second time, but the first time may have been his very first start. Ah. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly. I can confirm that is how it's gone. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going I, with it. I'm saying yes. You're going, John you, do you like means against the Red Sox? Do you like it more than Quantrill at the Tigers? Mm, no, I'd probably put Quantrill at the top, but then okay. I'd go John Means. Yeah, that's fine. And means will be my third that. choice too then. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. 